Welcome to Breaking Through, the podcast that explores the breakthroughs we're making every day at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I'm Madeline Bell, the hospital's president and CEO. Today's episode is part of my new podcast miniseries, The Breakthrough Chronicles. In this series, patients and their families will be sharing stories about their experiences at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which we often refer to as CHOP. They will also be sharing their breakthrough moments. I'm excited to speak with them and introduce them to you. My guest today is Kareem Rosser. As a child, Kareem was a patient of CHOP's primary care practice in West Philadelphia. That practice is now called the Nicholas and Athena Karabats Pediatric Care Center, and it's become an important part of our local community. Kareem is also an accomplished polo player. In 2021, Kareem published a memoir called Crossing the Line, A Fearless Team of Brothers and the Sport that Changed Their Lives Forever. His story is really remarkable, and I'm so pleased that he's here today to share with us. Kareem, welcome to Breaking Through. Thank you. Kareem, I'd like to begin by asking you to share what it's like to grow up in West Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, as a child in West Philly, for me, it was, um, you know, there were many great things about growing up in West Philadelphia and also many traumatic things about this growing up in a city as well with uh, five other siblings. I uh, had a single mom, you know, Cherise, all of us by herself and did an incredible job. We didn't have much um, growing up. Uh, you know, we were very dependent on the state and the government to help us as far as just being on welfare and providing just the, the resources we needed to just, you know, live our daily lives. But it was, uh, at times, it, it was a struggle dealing with the violence and dealing with uh, just growing up with a single mom who didn't have much help. Fortunately, my, my grandparents were around to help us at the time. But, you know, it was... Um, it was a struggle until I found the Work to Ride stables that changed my life. Kareem, can you tell our listeners, what is Work to Ride? Work to Ride is a Philadelphia um, nonprofit that serves low-income families here in Philadelphia. It was founded in 1994 by Leslie Heiner, who's the executive director still today. But the, the mission is to take low-income kids from around the city, provide them with an alternative in by way of using horses as a vehicle to uh, teach them life skills such as, you know, responsibility, um, you know, showing up and cleaning the barn. Academics is also a huge part of the organization. But, you know, uh, essentially the organization has just been, you know, transforming lives um, by using horses and polo. So you talked about the stables. When did you start going there? And that really led to you playing polo. So tell me how that all happened. Yeah, so you know, one afternoon, my my brothers uh, David and Jabbar, who most times were up to no good and out and getting into trouble, they were uh, out in the afternoon bike ride in Fairmont Park near the Belmont Plateau, and uh, there's Shimoni Drive there, and if most people you know end up driving down Shimoni Drive, and there's a dead end, and at that dead end um, is the uh, Shimoni um, Stables. And so back in 1994, Leslie Heiner, their founder and executive director, worked her ride, um, leased the stables from the city for a dollar a year. And she just started the program probably, I want to say this probably program was probably four or five years into um, its existence. You know, David and Jabbar just rode their bikes down the dead end and they saw a stable full of horses. And uh, they walked in and met Leslie Heiner, who handed them an application. David and Jabbar brought that application back home to my mom. 
And my mom asked, what is this? And they said, well, we found this incredible place and there's tons of horses there. And we met this woman and my mom filled out the application. It's been history ever since then. And so how did being involved in the stables lead to you playing polo? And how old were you when you started playing? Yeah, so I started riding horses when I was uh, when I was eight. That was my introduction to the stables and Leslie. I want to say maybe a year and a half or so. I spent time just learning about horses and learning how to ride. And then Leslie put a polo mallet in my hand. Leslie uh, started playing polo with some of her good friends. And in the beginning, the kids were just helping out and learning about the game, but not necessarily playing. And Leslie's friends sort of encouraged her to put a polo mallet in kids' hands. And Leslie did it. And um, so my brother started playing. And then eventually I started playing. And that led to a lot of success. So it led to a lot of success. How has polo changed your life? Oh, wow. I mean, it's uh, it's created so many opportunities for me. I mean, just the exposure alone has been incredibly impactful on my life, specifically really just thinking about going off and getting an incredible education. I went to Valley Forge Military Academy starting in eighth grade on a academic scholarship, but played polo there. And then I was able to travel the world. I've been to Africa a number of times, Nigeria specifically. Um, traveled to Asia, played quite a bit in China, been over to Europe numerous times playing polo down in South America and Argentina. So I've been able to travel quite a bit. And through those travels, it's just been incredible exposure and I've met amazing people that um, has given me opportunities and allowed me to change my life. So you wrote a book, which is on my nightstand <laughs> next in my queue to read, so I can't wait to read it. In your book, you talk about how far healthcare has come since you were a child, particularly when it comes to addressing childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to share some thoughts with our listeners about that. Yeah, you know, I I go back and I talk about when I lost my good friend Mecca in my book and she was murdered. Her, her mother and her father were all executed in their basement. I was 10 at the time. I think Mecca was 14. And that was my first time that I've ever really experienced loss or at least experienced loss and I understood what it meant. And during the time when I lost Mecca, at the time I was experiencing, at least what I thought I was experiencing respiratory issues. I couldn't breathe. I was you know, often telling my mom that I was having trouble breathing and that, you know, maybe I, it was something, maybe I had asthma and, you know, because asthma was something that was uh, ran in my family. And I remember going to the hospital a number of times and, you know, one could figure out that I was, figure out what was wrong with me because there was nothing wrong with my respiratory system. I later learned that I was actually dealing with just anxiety and PTSD um, after I lost Mecca because that was my first time ever dealing with something like that. And, you know, it was, it, it just, it took time for me to, um, to overcome or to, I guess, as I was grieving and didn't realize, I didn't even understand what grief was as a little boy. I was just 10 years old, fortunately, over time and, and speaking with doctors and learning more about anxiety and actually understanding that I didn't have a respiratory issue. It was a big point in my life. And as I was just making a transition from actually spending time in a neighborhood and, and being around the violence, um, realizing that those also were all just triggers to my anxiety. So over time, eventually, I, I was able to get through it. But thankfully, I was able to speak with doctors and folks within the, the job system to actually get the proper diagnosis. Well, I think your story is really powerful for all of us in pediatric health care. 
because to better understand what trauma does to children, and it may appear like a physical manifestation, but it may be anxiety, as you talked about. And I think we've come a long way in better understanding and addressing trauma since what you experienced at such a young age. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think one of the things for me, you know, personally is myself experiencing some of those things and then figuring out, you know, how to also educate the other families and children that are in their community. Because a lot of a lot of people, quite frankly, don't realize that they're dealing with anxiety and PTSD. You know, everyone's always told to, you know, to shut up and get over it, but it really needs to be addressed. So I've been very you know, transparent and even open about my anxiety and the things that triggers my anxiety, uh, just in the hopes of being able to educate those who may be going through a similar experience and actually don't realize that it's anxiety that's holding them back. Because when you're dealing with losing people every day to violence, at some point, you kind of become numb to it. But that's not really the answer. Is pediatric health care better today than what you experienced as a child? I would say absolutely. I think we've advanced quite a bit. I think now that mental health is much more prevalent today and and people are kind of bringing it forward, if you will. I imagine now when, you know, physicians and and doctors are trying to understand their patients and figuring out what's going on, that's one of the factors that's probably taken into consideration where before I didn't know anything about anxiety or depression. You know, no one ever really talked about the mental health side of things. Um, You know, I didn't realize what my mother was going through um, when she was raising six kids by herself. She was an addict at the time, and, you know, she dealt with her issues by using drugs. Now, even just reading forms or some of the questions that are asked when you are seeing a physician, there weren't the same questions 15, 20 years ago. So I definitely have noticed the healthcare system is making mental health a priority, which is an important thing because I think not having a a functioning brain is just as bad as not being able to physically do anything. So I think definitely we'll say it's much better than when I was a young boy. And we're really focusing on screening children for trauma so we can understand maybe their anxiety is caused by. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the first steps is, again, just kind of circling back to just understanding and really trying to figure out just the root cause of why is this particular kid misbehaving at school or why is this kid showing up to school? You know, and there are so many things that um, I think that are missed, not intentional. I think it's just because people, they're not physically in these places to see what's really going on. And I think that'll make a difference when we're thinking about diagnosing people and then trying to figure out how to create positive change. You talked about the West Philadelphia community, and I would love to know, as CHOP CEO, what you think those of us who are in healthcare can do to advance the situation for children in West Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I think all of Philadelphia, honestly, but I mean, if we talk about West Philadelphia, and maybe this may be happening already, but really getting into the community and really trying to understand what some of the issues are. I'm a huge advocate of kind of rolling my sleeves up and getting my hands dirty. And, you know, that's really talking to the people, spending time in the households of some of these families. And I know it, it's it's hard for some people who may not have grown up in that zip code or in that particular area to understand. It's kind of hard to solve a problem if you're trying to solve from looking in on the outside rather than actually getting in and trying to understand the, the root cause of some of the issues. I personally know that the trauma comes from 
all the gun violence and, and losing family members and friends. Is there a, a solution for gun violence? I, I think there's a solution, but it, it's going to take more than just a couple people giving some press conferences or running some numbers and saying this is what we need to do. I think it's really getting into the community and understanding some of the, the, the real challenges and how people truly feel. I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I, I say to people, and I think your story is a case in point, you need to give children an alternative mm-hmm. to choosing guns as a way to deal with some of the trauma they're working through. Mm-hmm. And once somebody has a gun, you, it's very difficult to take it away. Yes. So you've got to start early with programs like we're doing in the community now to help children to have an outlet that's more productive for their for their future. Yes. And it certainly worked for you. So tell <laughs> us what you're doing today. Oh, I mean, today I feel like I'm doing, a, I don't know, so many different things. I'm financial analyst at an asset management firm here in Philadelphia. But at the same time, I serve on the board of work to ride as a treasurer. I've been leading a $10 million capital raise to build a, a new indoor riding facility here in Fremont Park and then refurbish our current facility that we lease from the city for a dollar a year, as well as seeding an endowment to ensure future growth and sustainability. So I've been very, very busy helping Leslie and the board with those efforts there. I'm still writing as well. I'm actually in the middle of writing a second book, so I'm excited about that. Also, my first book has been optioned, so there's a film in development about my book, Crossing the Line. And I'm actually getting ready to apply to business school and go back and get my MBA as well. Also, I'm, I've been speaking quite a bit, uh, traveling and doing various speaking engagements, and then taking care of my one-year-old daughter. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> you are a busy man, and you're a dad. That's wonderful. That's really wonderful. Yes. So I always like to close by asking my guests about their personal breakthrough. So when you think back in your life, please share with us your biggest breakthrough moment. I think really my personal breakthrough is understanding my anxiety and realizing that had a lot to do with my childhood and growing up in West Philly, recognizing that and addressing it in a healthy way. Um, and that's through therapy. And then uh, and also sharing my stories with you know other people and hoping that it can make a difference for someone else. But yeah, I think really learning a little bit more about myself and understanding the way I feel in, in certain situations uh, had a lot to do with my childhood, but recognizing that has allowed me to continue to grow and, and make a difference. So I would say that was probably my biggest breakthrough. That's really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kareem Rosser, for joining me today. To learn more about how you can be part of tomorrow's breakthroughs at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, please visit chop.edu giving. At CHOP, we make breakthroughs every day. I'm Madeline Bell. Thank you for listening.